Thank you, Ryan. Good morning, everyone, and uh, welcome to the Glen Allen Church of Christ. I know that we do have some uh, visiting with us today, uh, folks who have not been here before, and uh, we just want you to know how delighted we are that you're here, and uh, our prayers that you will be blessed by our worship together. Uh, we are in the process of studying the letter of 1 Peter, and um, we're talking about it under the, the heading of Living Healthy Christian Lives in a Toxic World, because that's kind of what we're dealing with these days, isn't it? A toxic world, a world that's toxic to our faith uh, and not uh, favorable, not encouraging to our faith, and yet we still can live the healthy Christian lives to which God has called us. In the eighth chapter of Mark, in verses 36 and 37, Jesus asked a very penetrating question about our salvation. Here's what he said. He said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Or what will a man give in return for his soul? I want you to think about that, those questions for just a minute. What would it profit you if you gained everything in the world and lost your soul, lost your relationship with God, lost your eternity in his presence? What would you have? And what would you give in return for your soul? One second after you take your last breath, do you think that there's anything on earth that you would give in exchange for your soul? I think we all know the answer to that question. You simply cannot put a price tag on salvation. Peter says in 1 Peter 1 and verse 9 that the outcome of our faith is the salvation of our souls. The outcome of our faith is the salvation of our souls. So there's nothing greater than that. There's nothing more important than that. So we're looking today at verses 10 through 12 where he continues talking about the same thing, how great our salvation is. And this is one of the more, in my mind, unusual passages, not just in this letter, but in the whole New Testament. Because he talks about the prophets and the angels in relation to the message of the gospel. He says that our salvation is so great that the prophets who foretold it and the angels in heaven who are in the presence of God would like to know more about it. They would like to know what you and I know. They would like to be able to experience what you and I experience in Christ. They would like to have more insight than they have. We're talking about the prophets and the angels here, folks. We're not talking about the guy that lives across the street from you. We're talking about the prophets of God and the angels of God would like to know more about what this salvation really is. He says the prophets searched and inquired carefully to try to find out what their messages were all about, who they were about, and when they were talking about the things that they foretold. Now, this gives us an important insight into the ministry of the Old Testament prophets, the simple fact that they did not always understand what they were saying. They did not always understand what they were predicting. And I know you're sitting there thinking, well, you do that all the time, Sal, you know. <laughs> they just didn't always understand what they were saying or what they were predicting. And we don't think of them that way. We think of them as fully digesting their messages and, and fully understanding everything that they're saying, but it wasn't that, that way. It wasn't like that. When they were speaking about their own times or in the near future, when they were predicting that God's going to punish uh, Israel and Judah for their sins and Jerusalem's going to fall, they understood that. 
That was clear enough. But when they were predicting the things concerning Jesus and the salvation that he would bring, they didn't understand. Let me give you an example. In Daniel chapter 8 and verse 27, after seeing the vision of four kingdoms and the, and the ram and the goat butting heads with one another and all that went with that, Daniel says, And I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for some days. Then I rose and went about the king's business, but I was appalled by the vision and did not understand it. He was overwhelmed by what he had seen, and he didn't have a clue what it meant, and he didn't mind saying so. And then later in Daniel chapter 12 and verse 8, when he has his last vision that's recorded in the book, he says that these visions, or he's told by an angel, these visions are for a time and times and half a time. In other words, this Daniel, this is not about you. This is not about your time. This is not about the times in which you live. This is not about the Babylonian captivity. This is not about going back to Jerusalem. This goes way into the future. It's not about you. It's about a time and times and half a time. And he says, I heard, but I did not understand. I heard, but I did not understand. So what about the prophecies that were specifically about Jesus? Think about Isaiah chapter 53, one of the most beloved prophecies in all the Bible about the coming of Jesus. That's the one about that suffering servant who was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. One who was bruised for our transgressions and, and pierced for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. Do you know when you read Isaiah chapter 53, based on what Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1, Isaiah really didn't know who or what he was talking about. And I don't mean by that that his message had no meaning. I just mean... He didn't get what he was talking about. He never says the name Jesus. He wasn't told there's going to be a Savior named Jesus. He never says anything about a cross. He doesn't say anything directly about a resurrection and the salvation that that would bring. He didn't know those things. He was able to pro prophesy them by the inspiration of God's Spirit, but he didn't know that a man named Jesus who would be God's own son, God in the flesh, would come to this earth and live and die for the sins of the whole world and then rise from the dead and bring salvation to all who want to receive it. Now, I suspected he wanted to know, wouldn't you? Can you imagine delivering a message like that and then once you had done it, especially if you'd written it down, sitting back and looking at it and thinking, what in the world is that about? Who is that about? When is this about? And wondering what you yourself had said and had written. And notice that Peter says that the prophets searched and inquired, trying to find out. They wanted to know. And they didn't just sit back and wonder. They actually searched and inquired, trying to find out who or what they were talking about. So what did they search? And how did they inquire? Well, Peter doesn't specify, but I would assume that they were searching previously written scripture. I would assume that they were looking at the law of Moses, for example. I would assume that they were, they were looking at the Genesis record and, and Exodus and things like that, trying to find out, trying to find a clue. What is this about? This message that I have just spoken, that I have just written. And 
Maybe they looked at their own writings. Maybe after Isaiah wrote Isaiah 53, he did sit back and look at it. Maybe he went to bed that night pondering, what was that about? Maybe he was in the same boat as Daniel. I heard, but I didn't understand. But it wasn't for them to know because they were speaking, Peter says, about the grace that is ours. They were speaking about a grace that, that is ours. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Now that much was revealed to them. That much was revealed to them. This is not for you. This is not about you. It is about something that's going to take place far down the road in a way that you have no way of understanding. It's not, it's not for you. But he says to us, he says to us exiles living in a toxic world, it is for you. Everything they wrote down was for you. It's for you. It's for me. It's for every believer in Christ who will ever live. Our salvation is an amazing thing, isn't it? The prophets foretold it. But it was so profound, even they didn't understand it. And the angels in heaven longed to look into it. Now, when he says these things, Peter's implying some things about the Old Testament, about Scripture generally, that we need to take notice of because it will affect the way that we read it and the way that we interpret it. What he says here is important for us to know how to read our Bibles and how to know what the Bible's telling us. Here's one of those things that he implies. First of all, notice that our salvation was carefully planned. It was very carefully planned. If the Old Testament prophets were talking about Jesus, and Jesus himself said they were, that reading from Luke 24 at the beginning of the service, he showed them in, in all the, in the law and all the prophets the things concerning himself. Jesus said they were talking about him. And if that's the case, then centuries before he came, they were foretelling his coming. They were foretelling his sacrifice for our sins. They were foretelling that he would be despised and rejected among men. They were foretelling that he would be bruised for our iniquities and, and upon him would be laid the guilt of us all long before, centuries before he ever came. Maybe they didn't know what God had in mind, but God clearly did. God knew exactly what he was going to do. I hope you caught the import of the reading at the beginning of the service from Luke 24, when Jesus says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In Moses and all the prophets, he, he goes back to all those scriptures and to these stunned, startled disciples who cannot fathom the reality that he has risen from the dead. He goes back and he says, but it's been there all along. It's been there all along. It's there in the law of Moses. It's there in the prophets. Now understand that the prophets is a Jewish way of referring to all inspired writers, not just those who, who foretold things like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and so forth. Every writer of Scripture was considered to be a prophet because they were all speaking for God. And that's what the word prophet means. So when Jesus says uh, that, that in Moses and all the prophets, he's saying in the whole Old Testament. 
He took the whole Old Testament and showed them the things concerning himself. I'm here to tell you that was the greatest Bible class in history. And I am so upset that none of them took notes. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? Wouldn't you have loved to have sat there? You know, there had been volumes of books written about which scriptures in the Old Testament are talking about Jesus and which ones aren't. And there have been discussions and debates and arguments about that for centuries. Wouldn't you love to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear him say, let me settle this for you people. And, and then just start back in Genesis and start showing us all the things that are about himself. To start back in Genesis 3, probably, with that prediction uh, to the, the serpent that you will bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head, pal. He's going to crush your head. He's going to overcome Satan. He's going to ultimately defeat Satan. And then that promise to Abraham, through your seed, through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I'm sure he talked about that. I can't help but believe that he talked about Psalms 22. That cry that he uttered from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from hearing me? The words of David when he was being pursued by his enemies, that's what those are, but Jesus spoke them when he was on the cross because they so eloquently foretold his suffering. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said, Paul calls the gospel the plan of the mystery, hidden for ages in God, but now revealed. It was a mystery for so long, but it's now been revealed. And he says that it was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord. God knew from the beginning what he was going to do. God knew from the beginning what he was going to do. 1 Peter 2, verses 20 and 21 says, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, that was made, uh, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God. Before the foundation of the world, before the world was created, God knew, I'm going to create this world, I'm going to create this people they're going to sin. But I'm going to love what I've made. And I'm going to send my son to redeem them. And then little, little by little, he began to reveal that. Little by little, he began to tell what the plan was. So you and I are living in the culmination of the ages. Think about that. From before the foundation of the world, we're living in the era that God foresaw and that God had foretold through these prophets. We are now living in it. We are now living in the age of Christ. We are now living in the time when all that was hidden has now been revealed and we're just waiting for the final act. We're just waiting for the final act when he comes again. Our salvation was planned from before the foundation of the world. A second principle that Peter implies is that the Old Testament cannot be fully understood apart from the New Testament. Now, I want you to get that. I didn't say the New Testament can't be fully understood apart from the Old Testament. That's true. But even more so, the Old Testament cannot be fully understood apart from the New 
Why? Because until Jesus came, no one really knew what those prophets were talking about. That's what Peter says. The prophets searched and inquired, and they couldn't figure it out. Why? Because he hadn't come yet. But once Jesus came, and he lived, and he died, and he gave his teachings, then it became evident what their messages were all about. And the sad part of it is that means those who reject Jesus and the salvation that he offers can never fully grasp the meaning of the Old Testament. They cannot do it. They cannot do it. Unbelievers have been reading the Old Testament for centuries and enjoying the beauty of it and enjoying the power of it, but never really getting the message. Oh, they can see the beauty and the power of Genesis 1 and and, and the beauty of Psalms 23 and the comfort and the encouragement of that. They can, they can read the history of the people of God, the people of Israel, and, and all that they went through in, in their captivities and in their wilderness wanderings and all those other things in their, in their walk with God. They can see all of that, but they don't ever know where it's going. It's like they're in the wilderness with Israel in the promised land, just roaming and roaming and roaming and never getting are in the wilderness, but never getting to the promised land. They're out there in the wilderness, but they never reach the land because they do not acknowledge Jesus. You know, Jesus, when he was asked by his disciples, why do you speak to the crowds in parables? Said this, he said, I speak to them in parables because hearing they will never hear and seeing they will never see. What do you mean by that? He was quoting from Isaiah. And Isaiah, that was part of the commission that God had given to Isaiah. He said, you're going to go to this people, and you're going to proclaim my word, but they're going to hear it, but they're never going to hear. They're going to see you, but they're never going to see. They're never really going to get what's going on. And as a result, they cannot really grasp the message. And so what Jesus was doing was telling these parables to kind of give a window into the kingdom of God so that people who weren't yet disciples could come and they could look in through the parable. They could get a glimpse of what this kingdom was like and a glimpse of what this kingdom was about and hopefully be drawn in and become disciples of Jesus. But Jesus said to them, it is, not, it is hidden. But to you, who's he, who's he talking to? He's talking to his disciples. To you, these things have been revealed and more will be revealed. And so he told his disciples. It's not because that the disciples grasped it because they were smarter or brighter or any more on the ball than anybody else because sometimes they were kind of dense, you know. Sometimes they were pretty obtuse when it came to understanding what Jesus was saying to them. And he got pretty frustrated with them at times. Have I been with you so long and you still don't get this? But what set them apart? What set them apart was that they were disciples. They had chosen to leave all and follow Jesus. And because they had left all and followed Jesus, he says, to you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. But to them... Everything's going to be in parables until what? Until they become disciples. That's the way it is with reading the Old Testament. Paul talks about a veil lying over people's minds when they read it. A curtain. It's like there's something between. They can see some of it, but they can't really read it. They can't really grasp it. They can't really get it because they, they haven't accepted Jesus. You see, the biblical revelation, which is all from, from God, is progressive in nature. We have to understand that when we read the Bible. God didn't just reveal it all at once. 
The book of Genesis doesn't contain everything that we need to know. No one book contains everything we need to know. But the revelation is progressive. He gave part of it, and then when people were ready, he gave more. And then when they were ready, he gave more. And then when they were ready, he gave more. And finally, with the coming of Jesus, he's given us the completed, the completed revelation in his scripture. But his revelation is progressive, gradual throughout history, and not all at once. Let me give you an example. Isaiah chapter 7, 14. Uh, chapter 7, verse 14. One of the best-known texts in all of the book of, of Isaiah. It's talked about a, a young woman who was going to conceive and give birth to a child, and you should call his name Emmanuel. Now, in the immediate historical context, that birth of that child was to be a sign to King Ahaz that God was with him. God was on the side of Israel. Emmanuel, God is with us. He's not with those guys who are out there outside the gates threatening to crush us. He's with us. But nobody really understood Isaiah 7, 14 until Jesus was born. Matthew says in chapter 1, verses 23 and 24, until he was born to a virgin, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And now Emmanuel meant something different. Now Emmanuel didn't just mean God's on our side. Now Emmanuel means God is here. In the person of this child, God is present. God is with us. And that's important to know that we're not going to understand the Old Testament apart from the story about Jesus. Because that means we have to look at the whole of God's revelation in Scripture to get the full message, not just the parts we like. You know, we do ourselves such a disservice. We talk about Bible study, and we sit down and we read a chapter before we go to bed. And then the next night, we sit down and we read three or four verses in a different book. And then we sit down and we read, you know, and we read the parts that appeal to us. We read the, Psalm, the 23rd Psalm. We read 1 Corinthians 13. We read John 3.16. Don't have to read it. You can just see the guys hold it up at the end zone. We just pay attention to the parts that really appeal to us. We've got to pay attention to all of it. Because all of it, in one way or another, is pointing us toward the reality of Jesus. But you cannot understand the Old Testament apart from the New. But then here's principle number three. The Old Testament wasn't just written for people in its own time, Peter says. It was written for us. Now, make no mistake, it was written for people in its own time. But beyond that, its ultimate purpose was for us. Look at verse 12 of 1 Peter 1. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. The things those prophets were talking about, yes, they affected the people of their own time, but they were for us. Ultimately, they were about those of us who come to God through Jesus Christ. And make no mistake, the writers, including the prophets, had messages for their own times. They certainly did, they, and the people were supposed to listen to them and pay attention to them. But ultimately, they were talking about the things that are about us. Paul, in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, is urging Christians to strive not to please themselves, but be concerned about each other. Don't just insist on your own rights, he says, but look out for other people. And he quotes Psalm 69 in verse 9. The reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. 
He says, that's the attitude of Jesus. He took our reproaches, those people who reproached us, he took those on himself. And what he's saying to the Romans is, now you need to do likewise. You need to be concerned about each other and not just about yourself. But then Paul adds, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. It was written for us, he says, for our instruction. It was written specifically for Christians. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11, when he's urging the Corinthians to take heed to the negative things that happened to Israel in the wilderness and don't imitate their example. Don't be like that. He says these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction upon whom the end of the ages has come. That's why all that's there. It's so that we can read it and we can be convicted by it and we can follow it and we can learn from it. But see, here's the problem. Here's the problem. We so often neglect the Old Testament. I've even heard some Christians say the Old Testament's not necessary. It's not even necessary. All we need to know is what's in the New Testament. I've even heard some say all we need to know starts with Acts. We don't even need to know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Can you imagine that? It just starts with Acts at the beginning of the church. That's who we are. That's where we are. So that's all we need to know. Oh, goodness. What an impoverished, shrunken understanding of the Word of God that is. We are not just New Testament Christians. We are biblical Christians. We are to be fed and guided and strengthened by all of God's Word. Scripture says that, that the Old Testament was written for us. We need to pay attention to all of the Bible and study all of it because it all applies to us, Peter says. Now let's back up for a minute. Why is Peter saying this to Christian exiles, both in his own time and to us as well? And here's why I think he's doing it, right here in the beginning part of his letter. It's so that when we are making our way through this toxic world that is so hostile to our faith and we are striving to be God's people and we're getting into the neck even when we're trying and we're finding ourselves frustrated and we're feeling like failures and we're just not sure, you know, how everything goes and we're, we think that we really have it bad, that we will stop and remember that all of this was done and written and recorded for us. And we have a salvation that even the prophets and the angels would love to know. If that doesn't make our day, I don't know what's going to. If that doesn't lift our spirits, if that doesn't give us a sense of direction, I'm not sure whatever would. And it also means that whatever the price is that we have to pay, to follow Jesus and have the outcome of that faith, the salvation of our souls, whatever the price is, it's worth it. So I want to encourage you today, put everything in its proper place. And everything in its proper place means Christ first. And to be sure that you are following him. And if you are not yet following him, put him in first place by acknowledging him as your savior and as God's son, 
put him in first place by turning away from sin because he died for those sins and you don't want to continue living in them. And God will not allow you to continue living in them. And confess your faith in him and be baptized into union with him and live your life with him. This was all done for you. The outcome of your faith is the salvation of your souls and even the prophets and the angels wish they could know what you have already. If you haven't taken advantage of it yet, but you're ready to today, come and tell us. We'll help you. Let's stand and sing. When we walk-